everyone. My name is Alina and it's time for another interview. Welcome back to Traveling Inside Out, a podcast about exploring the world within and out. Today's episode is a conversation I had with yet another friend, this time uh, that I met when I lived in Iceland. I mean, the following few guests are going to be friends uh, that I met when I was in Iceland. What I loved, what I loved about this conversation is the focused uh, yet again the focused on the inside uh, journey that we should all do. And I loved how Ashling uh, described herself. Uh, you're gonna hear in the beginning of the um, of the interview where creativity meets spirituality. It's an interesting, very open-minded. Uh, conversation that we have, as I was saying, with a focus on uh, the journey within. And I think it's something that we can all learn from. If you want to hear more from her, you can find, um, you can get in touch with her just checking the podcast notes. With no further ado, Enjoy. Hi, my name is Ashling, and I'm currently living in Sweden and I'm an artist and also um, an alternative healing practitioner. And I guess where I where I come into play is I am the crossover between the two where the creativity meets the spirituality. And I guess, yeah, that's a good, pretty much good description of what I'm up to. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And since like the, the name of my podcast is Traveling Inside Out, I think even though you are a traveler yourself, but I think it really fits in with the tra traveling inside um, that I would like to <laughs> focus on later in the, in the uh, conversation. But um, first, thank you so much for, for being here. Thank you for making time. And I do want to start with asking, what does comfort zone mean to you? Definitely something you should push and step out of. Um, it's, I think that's where growth is, like both on the internal and the external. I think it's where you, you see and you open your eyes to new things and you try and sometimes fail. Um, but it's, it's, it's about this process. It's about being present in a process that you're not so comfortable with. So when, um, because you said yeah, that I think. you need to get outside of, so when did you first got out of your comfort zone? Oh, um, okay, when did, I suppose when I was in my late teens, um, was one of the first times that I actually went and did a longer term trip. Uh, so that was about uh, traveling on, on the external plane, let's say. And that it was something that really opened my eyes up to a whole new world. I went to Peru for a month and it was just something that really just expanded everything for me and exposed me to ways of living that I never had imagined. You see stuff on television, but you, nothing can prepare you for actually seeing stuff in real life and uh, the actual experience of connecting with it on a real life basis so it was really powerful yeah and just to make a whole perspective where were you living at that time because you said you went to peru but where did you live from uh, yeah i was i was living in ireland at the time i was um I, i'd actually just been on a recovery process because i'd been involved in a car accident and Ooh. um so i had been and i was actually training in college as well and there was some compensation as a result of the car accident so i decided that i i deserved a pretty big adventure so i took the summer um and yeah it was just one month in the summer i think it was in august and i was just 21 was i 21 22 and yeah and then i yeah but it wasn't an independent trip. It was kind of safe. You know, I still kind of kept a safe boundary around myself to, to just to nestle myself into it a little bit. The, the free came much later and it was like a little nudge in the right direction. Yeah. And so uh, was that also your first time uh, traveling outside of Ireland, outside of your country? 
No, I have been kind of had already traveled quite a lot, but in in quite different scenarios. I had at that point kind of every year we would have gone away on a summer holiday with my, with my mum, and then uh, so that was like up until late teenage years. And I had already at that stage actually been to to the states twice on J one visas, but that was also with a group of friends and people that I knew from before. So again, a very different experience. And it was something, you know, it's like um, very culturally specific, you know, the, the, a lot of, uh, without being too general, like a lot, of, a lot of Irish people go to the States during the summer and it's, it's, it's a party central for three to four months. So it was, it was something that was the done thing when I was, when I was kind of beginning my um, steps, going to college and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it was again. It was like every everybody was doing it, and and you could get these visas twice. So I had done that already. But the the Peru trip was definitely like a, a step in a completely different direction. You know, it was it was really eye opening. Mm-hmm. Really expanding your horizons. Okay, I understand. So then, since um, you experienced all sorts of traveling, as you were just saying, can you resume now? Why do you travel? Yeah, because I get bored. Actually, <laughs> um, yeah. I need to. I I thrive. I thrive. Yeah, it is totally. It's like I thrive on new experiences. I try. I thrive on um, learning new things. I'm also like a, because I'm a visual artist. Also, I I feed off um, experiencing different cultural traditions and foods and flavors and sights and sounds and colors and uh, artworks from different countries. It, it's it brings me something it makes me feel alive in a way that nothing else does you know it's like it's um it, and it brings you very present you know it's it's this moment of presence and you can't escape it you're there and you're reacting in the moment you know yeah it's it's the same thing that i'm saying i feel the closest that i can feel to myself is when i travel it's like that's when i make sense that's when everything fits in somehow basically so then what about traveling inside as i was saying why do you travel inside why do you think that's important yeah well i think that's hugely important um unfortunately i didn't really have a choice uh some people it kind of happens to us that we just get landed with some situation and we have to deal with it and that's that's kind of what happened to me i was actually traveling at the time when it happened we were in Georgia, um, uh, close to Russia, and uh, we had been traveling for some time and I developed some physical, structural difficulties with my body. And, uh, and then eventually that led to me coming home. We had been on the road at that point for 10 months. And then I came, I basically came home and there was a period of inner reflection for about three years as I, as I took stuff um, that had been weighing on me, stuff that I hadn't been expressing out. And that I needed to look at and so I basically did a lot of deep diving into that and yeah and then so I was three years at home and then after that then that's when I went to Iceland and that's where we met and was on that stage of the the coming out of the of the of the reflection let's say yeah, yeah. um so for you it kind of you you kind of had to to discover this side, let's say. So then what would you say to people who are not necessarily going through something that, you know, like they're not necessarily feeling like struggling with something. What would you say to those people about, you know, discovering or exploring the inside of themselves? I think no matter who you are, what situation you're in, it's valid. Um, because it's, it's something that, that pushes you to grow and develop in yourself. And, and coming back to comfort zone, it's all about that. It's all about challenging yourself and growing and learning and, and changing yourself and adapting to situations. And actually, it's about becoming more adaptable in situations, I think, because you have a, you have a bigger frame of awareness or you, if you start digging and looking, why do I react that way? Why is that happening to me? Or, or, or why, how am I going to fix this situation? You have to expand to, in order to step out of it. And um, it's in the expansion where there's growth and development and new potential, I think. Yeah, it's because you you mentioned Iceland. It's something that actually happened to me after I started living in Iceland. Before then, I've never hiked, for example, by myself. I mean, not, but no, I haven't like at all because I always felt like I'm not prepared. I don't have the 
you know, the, everything that I need and all that. And then seeing so many people in Iceland that they are doing that and nothing bad happens. I was like, okay, I'm going to try. And then I kept trying little, 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 little. But then this is exactly how I felt. I didn't know that I'm capable of doing it up until I actually did it. You know, so no matter whatever thoughts I had before, they all like they were not valid at all up until I've done it. And I'm like, oh, so I can do this. Oh, OK. <laughs> and so like that, I also. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like, uh, exactly like that, right? Yeah, yeah, what your limits are, right? And then you you get to push your boundaries. And then also, I think you get to learn because I do believe that life is not meant to always push your boundaries rather than just understand what your boundaries are and then to know when you have Mm -hmm. to go further than that or not. Because it's not always that you have to go like you know, crazy and to really force yourself in doing extra things. And I think life should be like that. But it's important to know where that limit is, right? Absolutely. I see it kind of like a wave. You know, it's like um, you you have waves where there's like super growth happening and like super, it can be difficult, traumatic situations. It, can, it might not be, it might be something more simplistic. That's not to say it's any less traumatic or difficult for the person who's experiencing it. But it's, it's like you can, you can go through like this difficult growth period and then you have this integration period after that where it's like a downtime and it's, 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 it's exactly, it's a wave. Uh, and it's, it kind of goes through the highs and the lows and you don't know the high if you don't know the low and it's, it's all <laughs> part of the process. Exactly, exactly. So um, I want to ask because I know you are, are you still having photography workshops? I know you used to do some of something like that in Iceland, right? Are you still doing that? Right now, no not actually doing that we're moving apartments at the moment so we have just been based for six months in this uh, kind of inter- interim town in Sweden and we're now uh, moving to this little cottage by a lake like literally next Wednesday so mm. it's um it, it's a very I'm beginning again in a new country because I was in Iceland for three and a half years so it's very much finding my feet right now mm-hmm. uh, trying to to go more into an online market at the moment and see see where that takes me and then combine the photography in with the spirituality because I think photography is very interesting because it's about looking and perceiving and mm-hmm. then sure that's how we understand the world yeah so it's about kind of integrating everything together at the moment all rolled in one I'm still take. yeah absolutely um so when did you start with photography was it through your studies or was it a hobby that you had since you were really young or? I have a photograph and I actually lost it and I'm really sad I lost it. Um, from my, of myself when I was nine years old with a camera in my hand. And I have photographs that I was taking with that camera and everything. And then in, in 99, I did like a foundation, like a simple one-year course in journalism and that took me into a dark Mm-hmm. And then in 2004, I started a degree, uh, which was audiovisual media. And then after that, I was actually lucky enough, I interned in a photographic, um, um, what would you call it? A co- it's, it's a co-op, it's cooperative. It's, it's called Magnum Photos. It's like a, one of the most legendary photography agencies that there is. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know how I did it, just one of those things I applied, I got in. Um, and I interned there for three months and I just had access to like these most amazing people who were like 70s and 80s and so inspiring and have been documenting all of history like I was literally standing in these um in this corridor like with this boxes of like Kosovo and Northern Ireland and Dalai Lama and Princess Diana and you know everything that had been going on in history and I was taking the boxes down and I was looking inside them it was just it was epic so uh, photography has been like a pretty pretty big part of it also but it's, I was trained in documentary, I guess. Mm-hmm. And this is also really interesting when, you, when you're looking at the, the looking outside and looking inward. Because for years and years and years, I was thinking that I was this documentary photographer. So I was social commentary. I was passing comments on, um, on society or what I was seeing or witnessing. 
and then all of a sudden then I had this 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 situation happen when I was in Georgia that we talked about earlier and then and after that, I became so reflective about the inner journey, the inner process. So now all of my work has shifted into this inner process and reflecting this, because I believe we all go one process. It's different, it's different. But um, the stories, the, the general theme of the story is the same. So I try to reflect that as best as possible to, to others now, because I feel like we're all experiencing the same thing and people seem to resonate. So. Yeah, because I, I, I'm not using Instagram anymore, but I remember I used to really love your pictures. Uh, oh, thanks, Lucy. Because, so first of all, I didn't actually know until later. I think at some point you told me, or like I posted a comment and you posted another comment or something, I don't remember, that most of your photos, you take them by yourself. Because I really thought that there's like a whole, like a whole team working on... Uh, on your picture no just <laughs> no <laughs> no um i mean i've been i've been working at it quite long now like for very many years and i have a good understanding how things work uh, i'm also working with a camera system that is fully manual and it's a rangefinder system so there's no automatic focus no automatic settings or anything so in yes there might be somebody else there who pushes the button but everything has to be set up by me in the first place because unless they are a photographer experience in my camera system they don't know what to do so yeah everything everything is set up by pretty much by myself and the images uh, which i think you're referring to are the ones of me in, in the black costume probably or, or in one of the costumes but they're all done in relation to performance about this energy between audience and performer and this presence so by somebody watching me who is the person who's clicking the button and they're not looking through the camera because i have established all that um, so they're actually just looking at me and engaging their focus on me and whatever. And that prompts me to behave in a certain manner. And then they, when they feel an emotional trigger, they hit the button. So it's about this, this, yeah, flow between an audience and a, a performer and an audience and then captured through the, the photographic image. Yeah. Okay. Because for me personally, I don't know. <laughs> So for me personally, when I'm taking pictures of myself, I don't feel comfortable if it's someone else taking the picture, even if it's just to press the button, uh, or if I'm taking the picture by myself and it's just someone else that is passing by or something like that. I really don't feel comfortable a lot, uh, at all. And um, I was like last year or in December, whatever, I tried like a photo shooting with a friend that she's a photographer. And like, she's one of my best friends ever. So for sure I felt comfortable with her, but I was still feeling like, I don't know what to do with my hands. I don't know. And it's things that I never think about when I'm taking pictures by myself, of myself, <laughs> let's say it. So it's interesting. Yeah, 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 sure, sure. Yeah. You have to understand as well is I, I have done performance training. I have like, I've been doing performance art and stuff like this before. I'm used to, to being in front of, well, more used to, I wouldn't say I do it all the time, but I have been in a full length theater production. I have, I have been on stage multiple times. It's like an camera multiple times because I was trained in audiovisual. I've been acting in films and, you know, there's a whole years of stuff. <laughs> before I got to this point, you know, it's like, and when this stuff started clicking for me, it was like a total new thing for me. That was pushing me out of my comfort zone. Yeah. When I, when I went and put that dress on for the first time, I got into the lake at my hometown in March and the fucking, sorry, freezing cold. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. I, I got in and my sister came down and she was like walking past and it was Oh, fair play to her for doing that. And then my sister was kind of like, because she had done makeup on me. Because I, I was, I never put on makeup. But for some reason, I was like, okay, I have to hide behind makeup if I'm doing these shoots. Yeah. Now the makeup has since gone away. But um, yeah, it, it's um, it, that was really pushing me outside, and it completely pushed my world. And it was just that was like, just like two months before I moved to Iceland, I started with that. And it just escalated there, you know, because yeah. I think you can do what you want. You can be who you are. And it's, it's a wonderful space. Oh, yes, for sure. 100%.
Sure. Um, so I wanted to ask you a little bit about crystals because okay. it's something that I know zero things about. <laughs> and so um, <laughs> the thing is that I went to a, how do you call it, like to a museum. We have a museum here in my country and it's kind of close. It's like just a few hours away from where I live, like my, my mineralogy yeah. museum. And I didn't even know we have so many kind of rocks in my country. It's just, it was amazing because of course I studied when I was young about some rocks that we have, but then I went there and it, it was not even from the entire country. It was just from a region. And I'm like, Oh dear Lord, there are so many things. So um, basically how, um, uh, I don't know, how do crystals affect one's living, let's say? Or oh. how do you complete someone's living? Wow, okay. Um, okay, the only way to, to, to say this is that it's, it's completely, it's all vibrational, right? So um, therefore how one will affect me is not the same as one will affect you. Uh, there are lots of books out there who explain different, this one's good for this, this one's good for that, but that's not really what it's about. The way that I was trained is that, um, that essentially they're, they're living, but they do reproduce, like they grow. So it's like, and, and you get little baby crystals and bigger crystals and stuff, but they don't actually technically reproduce. So they're not given the they they're alive thing even though they do grow so that's an interesting distinction number one uh then the the second part is then it's that they're thought to be i don't know if you've ever heard of the chakra system it's like this energy system within the body if you imagine a drain yeah a drain pipe with water and if the drain the water doesn't flow as as effectively as it should so this is essentially the the energetic like or the energetic soul aspect of us or whatever and so the crystals are then thought to to be resonating at a, a or or in a very pure form where they're not blocked in any manner. So what they bring to us is that they bring a, a certain energetic or a certain vibration into our field, which helps energies move out. So if we have like a blockage, um, which can be like a physical pain, can also be on an emotional level, psychological, physiological, like loads of different levels. Uh, but it can actually move out blockages. So if you're stuck on some past repeating pattern and, and this thing keeps happening to you and you don't know why, that you could actually, um, through the, the use of, of crystals, if you go to somebody who actually properly knows what they're doing, there's not many out there actually, but um, you can actually get the, the energy shifted through the use. And what, what that does is it brings the, the blip in your matrix, let's say, it brings that up to the surface so you can process it out or recognize it and let it go. And sometimes that's on a conscious level. Sometimes that doesn't, you don't need to be aware of it. So sometimes it just, the energy just releases. Uh, but it's a way of aligning yourself and bringing yourself back into balance. It's just one of the many. I mean, it's like um, healing modalities are like um, art and creativity. You know, you can make art with a camera, with a video camera, with a paintbrush, with a pen, with a pencil. And the healing modalities are the same. You can you do it with like Reiki or crystals or sound or whatever else, you know, with the regular medical system. There's so many, there's so many different facets. Um, but yeah, I suppose the, the, the crystals primarily work on the energetics. Uh, so kind of on this um, auric fields and energetic body. Uh, you mentioned that while you're explaining uh, how it works, you were mentioning that if you find someone who really knows what they are doing and you said there are not so many. So how can one, you know, check out that the person talking about crystals is a legit professional and not a scam or something like that? Yeah, well, I mean, that really goes down on, on how you... or what you feel when you talk to them like if they're if they're pushy like if they're pushy like and you have to come and you have to come that's number one warning sign mm -hmm. uh, number two warning sign is if um i mean it's very hard to know until you actually get to their space you know because i, I suppose for me there will be lots of visual cues in somebody's space um if, if it's not if if 
I suppose how they have the, 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 the look of the space would tell me a lot. Okay. But, but uh, that's a that's a bit bit it doesn't really help you. Um, let me think about that for a second. That's then, going to okay. But do, then, do, 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 do. depending how it looks like, so how what could it be looking like weird for you, for example, that you you wouldn't relate or you did you would you would think something is fishy? Like what would be off for you? Off. Okay. Okay. Let's let's talk about like in a in a holistic fair kind of a scene because <laughs> you go into one of these spaces. Mm -hmm. And you, you've got all these people with their like very fancy placards and their very fancy like, you know, stands and they're all digital displays and everything. That's a warning sign for me. Okay. And um, that's like a, oh God, really? <laughs> um, I mean, oftentimes it's the most uh, softest, gentlest, non-getting-in-your-face non kind of people. Mm -hmm. um, and definitely, definitely not pushy. And someone who is soft, and someone who is, um, yeah, they're soft in the way that they speak to you. And you definitely shouldn't be sensing any aggression or any, you know, if you sense any kind of aggression or tension or anything in their voice or, or anything like that, that would be a trigger for me, definitely for sure. Um, and also, then if they're if they're relying on books. Um, if they're if they're telling you this is this crystal is for this and only this, that's an issue for me also. If they're also telling you that um, this is how you cleanse them, this is how you do this, and you shouldn't carry this one because of this, and you shouldn't do this. If they're giving you shoulds and shoulds nots, like as in very strict, mm -hmm. then then that's not because yes. your 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 own your own personal stuff is always your own personal stuff. And yes, some people work and um, they can tune into what your um like say your vibration is or your frequency is or whatever and they can they can actually tell you and quite often i can uh, i can sense stuff from people and then i say it to people afterwards and then they're like looking at me going how did you know that and i don't know how i know that it's just it's something that i that i know um but it's um often people who are too rigid in their shoulds and coulds and this is the way it has to be like they're too dogmatic they're not really intuitive and they're not really listening and they're not taking each person as an individual in the door. They're, they're almost like, can I say it? No, I won't say it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, yeah, if they're too structured and rigid, yeah. yeah. But is there like yeah, a... Yeah, and crosses always disturb me. Is there like a certified documentation? Or the crosses always disturb me, but that's just a personal thing. There is, and I had a funny uh, instance about this actually about two weekends ago because I went to one of the main holistic fairs here in Sweden and I started talking to this lady and she had the sheet and I, there was something about the sheet that I recognized. And so I asked her, I went, oh, you trained in the UK? I said, so did I. And then she goes, and then I said who I trained with and she was like, oh my God, you're trained in the same school I am. And she was like, okay, now we're two. There's nobody else in Sweden. We, now we're two. And I was like, okay. And, uh, but the thing is, I never got my qualification because I, I did my, um, I did all the, the case studies and everything, but there was an aspect of the course that was uh, anatomy and physiology. Now I have done it since through another course, mm -hmm. but uh, tragically the, the, the lady who I started with passed away and all sorts of things. So I never actually got the official paperwork, but I would actually say is some people actually just have a natural affinity to these things also. Like I did do, do like, I think I went for two week trainings or three week trainings twice over a year. And then I also had like all these case studies to do with people afterwards. So mm -hmm. it is quite rigorous process when you go official training, but it's not the be all and end all. It's, it's, if you find the right teacher, yeah, go for it. But if it's something that you have a natural affinity to and you feel, feel like you're connecting on some level with us, then then you, you may just have a natural ability. There's that lady in Iceland, that Petra, Petra stone place in, in um, the East Fjords. She didn't know what she was doing. She collected stones all her life. Like she has no idea what she gathered there. Like, and it's intensely powerful. Like, but it's, yeah. Um, because you, you, were, you were mentioning a bit how, depending how you connect with another person, I'm really curious because, okay, I haven't, did any kind of research whatsoever so basically i'm just gonna ask you now it happened few times yeah. in my travels when 
um, not related to people, I kind of feel the energy coming from a place, either being an actual city or being out in the nature. Where does that come? Does that come anywhere in spirituality or? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, basically, yeah, I mean, the nature and places have energy just like people have energy. So it's like if you, if you know you don't like someone and you, why you don't like them, but you know you don't like them, then you don't put yourself around them because there's something that's mismatch. And it's the same with places. I felt that way in Quito, for example. Um, I just felt like something was wrong the whole time I was there. I also felt like that in Turkey. Um, I can't tell you what it was, but there was just something that was very unsettling in me. Something was very unsettled about the space. And then like the total opposite of that is like this weekend, I, I camped at this, um, this one, of, one of Sweden's most ancient sacred sites, or, or it's not even considered a sacred site here. It's like an ancient Viking monument. And it was just the most peaceful, wonderful, glorious space that I've ever been in. And definitely, and countries have that. You know, I think specific cultures have that, then specific cities have that. So it's like, it's multifaceted and it goes mm -hmm. down. And, and people have it and everything has it. We like some things, we don't like other things. And there are reasons, <laughs> you yeah, know? that's the thing. It's, and I think it, um, like, I felt like that, Probably the first, the first time, the first time when I felt it really strong was when I was in, um, I was on a tour on Lake Titicaca, but I was not in Bolivia. Okay. I managed to uh, get there, and I was on uh, two islands on the lake. And even though there were so many things happening because we were talking with cultures that were living on those islands and there were so many colors and they were singing songs and so on. But I felt like so like serenity. I don't know how other way to explain it. And then the second time when I felt it was again in Peru uh, when I was in Machu Picchu. And even though it was something that I, I, I wanted to do since I was really young, um, the way I got there, I got sick and all that. A lot of things happened. A lot of weird things happened up until I got there. But then when I started walking by myself through those ruins, it felt again like nobody. And again, if Machu Picchu is not crowded, I don't know what landmark is. Um, but for some reason, I didn't feel the people. I didn't feel bothered. Like they were not, they were like uh, in the background. Like there was something stronger coming at me. And it was weird. And the weirdest thing is that in general, when I get these kind of feelings about people, I'm like trying to analyze why is it like this and like this and like that. But in those moments, I was like, I don't even need to explain this. I just need to live mm -hmm. it, which was mm -hmm. rather weird. Like me not analyzing something. That's wow. That's really wow. <laughs> but yeah, so this is why I was curious. It's in it's interesting that you mentioned Titicaca because when I, I also went probably to the same islands and, and I was on the boat and I remember specifically being on this boat crossing the lake and just lying down and actually just, I think I probably said to a couple of people that I was with, wow, this is just the most epic I've ever felt in my whole life. And it just, I, it was so peaceful. Like I, I can't describe it. And then it wasn't until, like, I, I'm very interested in sacred, sacred sites and ancient cultures and cities all around the world. And Titicaca is one of the big ones. Like, it's one of the big, um, yeah. like, um, mystical, sacred -y places in the world, as is Machu Picchu, obviously. Um, but they definitely, they're places of power and they have something that is so old and ancient and forgotten and not quite understood. Um, and I think that's what we tap into while we're in these places. For sure. This, this, um, it's primal, I think. It's like a primal something. Feeling, instinct yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I totally, yeah, I yeah. Totally see that. Um, and since we were talking about energies of the countries and so on, is there a country or a place where you would not travel? And not necessarily from the countries where you already have been, maybe in countries where you haven't been and you, you don't want to go. 
I'm not so fond of Asia for some reason. I, I don't know why. There's nothing logical there. Um, but it's just I'm not pulled uh, at all. Um, Australia, not so much either. But, but Asia, there's, yeah, I, I, I don't know. There's just something that just is like, if you would say to me, come on, we'll go tomorrow, I would actually say no. Um, yeah, and so I don't know why. You haven't been to any countries in Asia? I've been to Cambodia and, oh, I, I've actually forgotten now which countries are in Asia, but not that many of them. Um, yeah, Cambodia, and then we went to Vietnam. Um, mm -hmm. And then Thailand, just on the way in. But mm -hmm. yeah, there was just something that, that, that yeah, no. No, for me, no. It's just no. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. I, I can't explain why. I just, no. I mean, you mentioned Thailand, and I have a lot of friends that have been to Thailand and others that really want to go to Thailand. And for me, it's like really down the list, like really, really yeah. at the bottom of my list. Of the, Like I have so many other countries I want to see, uh, like South Africa, for example. That's the one that I'm really aiming to go, hopefully next year, I don't know. I will see. But it's like on top list of my desired countries. Do you have some? Like, Africa. Like yeah, Africa. Sorry. Africa scares me for some reason. And I think it's probably about the bugs um, because I, I have really bad reactions. So I'm actually really terrified to, to go somewhere like that because I will just turn into after a couple of days, I'll just be a red blob. So I think I, I can't go to places like that. Like, but we'll, we'll see. Like, it might happen, yes. Like, but this is why North European countries work for you. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've actually noticed. So I've been to, uh, I lived in Tunisia and I was in Morocco last year. And um, it happened a little bit in South America as well. I get a rash from the sun. I'm like... I'm like mm -hmm. allergic to the freaking sun, which is stupid to say, but that's how my skin reacts. So yeah, no, I totally get that. It's it's frustrating, yeah. but I totally 100% get that. Um, so um, what is challenging to you when it comes, and now, so the question has two parts because you are two parts, let's say. So what's challenging to you when travel, like when you travel to another country, like specifically, and what is challenging to you when you travel inside? Okay. Um, inside is easier, so I'll start with that. Mm -hmm. um, inside is stillness. I, I have a lot of problem with stillness. Um, and it's like I, I love to be doing and keep doing and, and doing things. And uh, I have definitely like uh, I, I have no clear distinction where work ends and where work starts because I, I kind of work pretty much for myself all the time. So I have no, no clear end. And until until I'm in a partnership now, but before the partnership, I had no boundary. And now I have to like establish very firm lines. So it's about this, this taking inner stillness and taking time to just be present. And now it's, it's coming much, much, much easier um, in the last years. So now I kind of place where, I mean, in a very pleasant place um, after a lot of hard work, but uh, it's, it's so much easier just to be in the moment and be in the presence at the, at the moment. But generally stillness is still something that I have to work on all the time. And I have to turn my phone off and I have to step away from the computer and just shut it down and, and move away. In terms of traveling, hmm, uh, yeah, things like the bugs and uh, the practical things like that, like things that affect my physicality. The bugs, uh, we were in Egypt uh, last year and I hadn't eaten McDonald's in five years because I'm so anti-McDonald's and nothing would stay in my stomach. So it was like, it was like I had to go McDonald's, I had to go Pizza Hut. And it's like, I have certain sensitivities and yeah. And Egypt was particular, it was a particularly horrendous trip from, from that, that aspect. Like, yeah, it, it sucks. It's a great conversation breaker between new traveler friends, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but like, yeah, but, but it really, that was, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's those, it's those practical things because I think on a, my inner experience when I'm traveling is always only positive. It's, it's, um, the only thing is when you do a prolonged trip, if you're like, cause I was on the road for 10 months before, and I know you've done a long trip also, 
it can be quite hard. You have to balance and allow yourself time to sit still also because it can feel a little bit like, oh, I'm getting up, I'm going again. Where am I going this life? Oh, you know, it, and it all gets a bit much. So I actually try and um, to come up with, rather than just traveling without purpose, I, I try to actually integrate it into my work now also so that I'm going to a specific place for a specific photograph or, or that I'm, yeah, I'm going for a specific site or I'm going for a specific reason or whatever and try to incorporate that in as much as possible to make it more purposeful, I suppose, or not feel like I, I think I was traveling because I was running from stuff. And so now I feel like I have to make myself sure that I'm not running. And that's why I have to have a purposeful reason to go to somewhere. And I'm going here because I'm going to dive into this topic for three weeks or whatever. And I think that reaffirms that I'm still moving forward and that I'm not going back. Uh, I think it's a bit deep, but yeah. Yeah, no, no, I no, I love it. Yeah, no, on. I love it. Uh, yeah, I kind of felt the same. So when I decided to go to Tunisia, I was running away from something. But then when I decided to move to Iceland, I was running towards something. So, uh, yeah, I totally understand the difference. I totally, I, yeah, I totally do. Um, and then I want to ask you, I, I mean, you kind of answered throughout the interview, but then what did traveling teach you? And now you can decide to choose whatever aspect of traveling you want. It's just a whole new world, isn't it? That's it. It's just, yeah, it just shows you things uh, about yourself and other places that you never would have seen or experienced without it. And it just gives you a much richer, fuller, broader existence, I think. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> it's quite I'm easy to sum that up, yeah. Uh, how does... So you were kind of mentioning a little bit earlier when you were talking about... Um, a person in charge of explaining about crystals and so on. So I'm curious to know how technology comes <clears throat> in hand with uh, spirituality or photography and how alongside with that, how social media can do something good or bad to this, <laughs> let's say. Yeah, it's very, 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 very tricky, thin ice kind of place. Um, <laughs> personally, uh, the personally, like energetically, I'm very sensitive because I work, I work like with energetically with people, and I mm -hmm. sense things off people. Most of the time, I I spend a lot of time alone because it's like I don't like to. I get very tired if I'm out with a lot of people, even though I'm extrovert, which doesn't make sense. But um, yeah, the the. I notice that when I turn the internet off for the weekend and when I shut down and shut myself away from it, such an incredible experience. My partner tells me I'm completely different. It's like he, get, he gets annoyed with me. You know, if he sees me touching my phone, it's like I get, I get reprimanded and I need that actually because it's a, we have the same addictive process going on with the computer and technology that you have with alcohol and drugs. It's the same psychological and um, physiological trigger points. It's the exact same thing. So when we're coming down on all the people who are struggling with, with alcohol and substance addictions, it's actually, we should reflect it back on ourselves because we're all, if we're, if we're spending more than whatever time on the computer a day, it's like we're all suffering from it. And I feel that, um, the spirituality thing is like it just dampens your energy down you're not in the present you're always in your head you're not in your physicality at all so you disconnect you instead of being fully embodied like so we should be operating from our heart leading and our head implementing for what our heart wants but technology puts us fully in the head so therefore we don't have the connection to the heart at all unless we see something that annoys us in the social media, like the, any, the, the riots, the, whatever it is that gets us riled up and then we feel we need to express and splurge. Um, it's, it's a very, very tricky space because it disembodies us from our body and our body is as much part of us as our spiritual, spiritualities or energetics are. And it's tricky because it's everywhere. You can't book a flight without it. You can't 
know, you can't research hotels or sites or other places. Like we, this weekend, actually, we didn't look at our phones at all and we didn't know anything about these two sites. And there happened to be an arts trail on, so down the whole coastline of this, this region of Sweden, there was this arts trail with like 150 different houses opening like rooms with as galleries and showing work. And we went into one of them and we saw this beautiful like dolmen like thing and we we like looked at the name of it and i was like look there must be another one here and he looked my partner looked at the name and he's like oh i recognize that name i know where it is but it was like we were being led technology nothing the whole weekend kind of flowed just like that and um we managed to just have the most wonderful weekend because we were totally disconnected um and yeah it's it's so so tricky and then i saw a video last week about they know when you get out of your car that your phone stores, even if it's on flight mode and stuff like that, it actually stores information. So it knows when you get out of your car, what building you're going to. And that's terrifying. That's absolutely terrifying. Yes. Yeah, so it's like, oh, I don't know. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it, is it, it's just the way the world is at the moment. And I don't know. I don't know. I, I was watching a, a video on YouTube, I think a few weeks ago, and the person in the video was saying that he doesn't believe that social media is bad, but he was saying it's something like candy. And I loved, I really loved the, uh, the comparison because he was saying, if I would have candy in my pockets every day for years and years and years, I would not be healthy at all, like at all. If I would always eat candy, like at any time whatsoever. And then yeah. like, now I'm not against candy and I do like to eat some candy from time to time, but I should not do it every single day for hours and hours and hours. And then I was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. So <laughs> I've deleted all the social media apps from my phone. Like I only have the ones from chatting because I'm keeping in touch with friends and family. Um, and I deleted that. And I, I still have the thing that I have the phone in my hand and I'm looking through it and there's nothing to check. Yeah. There's nothing to check. Yeah, yeah. Okay. In my hand and I'm like, what am I looking at? <laughs> but exactly, yeah. So I really do not have any other... Um, like I, I've never struggled with any other kind of addiction, but this is a really strong one and I feel it. Like I feel it. And even when I'm with friends and I'm I'm trying my best to put the phone away and not look at the phone and so on. But if it's like one hour past and I didn't look at my phone at all, I'm like already like scratching my neck and like Yeah, yeah. It's, it's totally, yeah. Um, but yeah, at least it's a step that I've done. I was like, okay, I'm going to, I didn't delete my accounts. I can still check them out on, on my computer, but I mean, mm -hmm. at least there's a step there. So yeah, I totally yeah. agree with you. That is a hands-on, that's an addiction. And I, yeah, as I was saying, I also believe that it's not necessarily a bad thing, but in a large consumption of it, it's it's causing it's damaging your daily life basically exactly but like you said it is like candy because um, sugar is also one of the most highly addictive substances there is and we have gone through stages here of of giving up sugar completely uh not not having with any sugar in it and um, what happens is, though, you go for that one candy one time and then all of a sudden you've got this like sugar rush that you need to, to feed and then you're back on the sugar for a couple of months and then it's like a whole weaning off process. And you, it's, it's a cycle, like it's, it's horrendous. <laughs> like it's, but it's the exact same with the, with the computer and the phone. But I'm so glad now that I've gotten into this routine of turning it off on the weekends. And it's like it's giving me so much better quality of life. And it's also letting other people know, hey, I'm... If the weekend, I'm not available. No, I've got my life. I've got my, I've got my partner. I've got my, I've got like nature to enjoy, and that's where I'm going to be. So it's like, and because otherwise I'd forget about it, and I wouldn't go out in it. So it's like I really need to make this conscious effort to, um, to, to kind of turn it off and turn the Wi-Fi connection off. And actually, at the moment, I'm so sensitive to it, and I've been working so much because my partner is in another town. Just he's working in the town where we're moving to. 
mm-hmm. uh, so I only see him on the weekends. So I'm actually like very often working 24 hours and I'm actually on the, the, the internet for 24 hours. And it is, my body gets so like hyped up energetically and I'm just like, and I can't sleep and I'm walking around the house and I'm wired and that's like Monday and Tuesday. And then by Wednesday I have control of it again. And then by Friday he's back in the evening, but it's actually, it's, it's really, and I can feel it in my body. My body gets hot like the mobile phone and it's just, it's so bad. Like it's so bad. Um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to now uh, moving into to our little place together and him coming home at five o'clock and going, okay, it's done now for the day. So that's that's something I'm really looking forward to. I think, as you said, it, it's it's a conscious effort that we need to do. Like, because that's the thing, you need to really yeah. think. Like, you really need to push yourself and be like, okay, so as you said, like I'm switching off now, and then I'm living the rest of my life outside of this side of the world let's say yeah. i like that i'm gonna yeah. get there one day <laughs> yeah and i'm gonna slip up again so it's like it, it goes in stages you know it's like yeah <laughs> but i did quit the cigarettes which is good <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. so i think this is kind of it for me if you have any other uh, last words before we wrap it up if not, I just want to thank you so much for finally joining to uh, deciding to join me in this interview. No, absolutely. I really super enjoyed it and it was so nice to chat to you again. This concludes today's episode. If you like it, don't forget to subscribe to Traveling Inside Out on any podcast platform you might uh, find my podcast on. It's almost everywhere <laughs> by now. I would like to thank Aisling again for um, spending a few time, a little bit of time with me. And if you would like to be a podcast guest for uh, my show, you are welcome to do so. Just get in touch with me and we can uh, go from there. Just uh, look for Alina's Wonders on the internet and you can find me like that. Until next time, stay true to yourself and follow your dreams. Bye!